this in your underwear and your Bart Simpson t-shirt. What were you thinking? How the pastor of the sanctuary has honored himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of all of his parishioners and female parishioners too, as one of the vulgar fellows who shamelessly uncovers himself. What were you thinking? Well, honey, I, I was just trying to experience the free, outrageous, unrestrained joy of David. The man after God's own heart. And you know, you really ought to just sit down and listen to scripture. You might never get pregnant again. <laughs> that scared her. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord God, would you help us to hear your word and believe your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Samuel Chapter 6, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod, which was probably much smaller than this. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, David's wife, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offering and the peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, like like a Twinkie, a portion of meat, like a, like a Slim Jim, and cakes of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house, and David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all the house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of, his, of the Lord, and I will make merry before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. In the Hebrews it says, I will be abased in my eyes, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken by them, I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Now listen, there are all sorts of righteous women in scripture that are not able to get pregnant. But Michal does not bear fruit because she despises David's dance. So here's a little crisis. Here's a little problem. If you were thinking to yourself, oh, come on, Peter, have a little dignity. Peter, there's new people here today. <laughs> new young life leaders. I mean, this is, this is inappropriate. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking, you know, thanks for the Twinkies and the Slim Jims and the, and the Raisin Cakes. I mean, I mean thank, but no thanks for the dance. If you thought that, well, you see, you're thinking just like Queen McCall, and, and that's a problem. And this is also a problem. I'm not actually feeling all that free. 
spontaneous, outrageous, unrestrained. I'm not feeling the joy. In fact, I'm feeling a bit naked and ashamed and exposed, uh, self-conscious. I'm thinking about your judgments right now. And my judgments upon your judgments. Some, some of you are thinking, that was embarrassing. That, that was awkward. Or he better not expect me to do that. Or he did that once at Lookout. I know it. He did it. <laughs> or, or maybe you were thinking, you know, hey, you weren't dancing before the Lord uh, as worship. You were illustrating a sermon. And if you were thinking that, you're right. You're right. So I probably wasn't worshiping. I was pretending to worship. Like, you know, when you're at church and someone says, hey, let's rejoice, let's worship the Lord, clap your hands and be happy. And so you feel like you're in a worship skit. And because of that, you're not worshiping. You pretend to worship to cover the fact that you're not worshiping. Kind of like, you know, when you try so hard, you just try so hard to be joyful that it really makes you sad inside. A couple weeks ago, I had lunch with Barry, my friend Barry, and afterwards, as I was preparing to get out of the car and go back into church, Barry said, hey, Peter, where do you find joy? I really struggled with the question. You know, a pastor is supposed to have joy. And for four years, the past four years, I've really struggled with sorrow. And the pain that I have experienced, all related to preaching, where do you find joy? What is joy? You know, religious people love to define joy. And, and, and when they do, their definition kind of sounds to me like they're saying this. Well, actually, joy, actually Christian joy, what Christian joy really is, joy is actually not joy. Real Christian joy is acting joyful when you're not joyful. So joy is your decision, your judgment. Joy is your responsibility. So be joyful, damn it. You know what I mean? What is joy? I've kept this video now for, I think, about a year. Not exactly sure why, except that I think this is joy. Daddy's going, Daddy's going to make you laugh now. Ready? That's David's dance. I think that is joy. 
And I'm jealous of those babies. Are you jealous of those babies? Are you? You realize that you have spent your entire life desperately working and striving to not be a baby. Now, I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying, isn't that kind of weird? That's weird. And, and here's more weirdness. You can't just decide to be a baby. It won't, it won't work out. You can't just decide to dance David's dance. Another way of saying that is you cannot just simply decide to be born again. Or you're not born again. You're a grown man acting like a baby. So where is joy? What is joy? How do you get it? Have you ever noticed that sometimes the harder you work at um, getting joy, the less you do? I mean, ask my wife. When I go on vacation, it's my nature to work so hard at joy that I make myself and everyone around me sad. (laughs) Instead, in the words of C.S. Lewis, I have to be like surprised by joy. I mean, I have to be like distracted. Sometimes I can be distracted by things like a, a roller coaster, a beautiful sunset, a conversation with my kids, but, it, but if I keep asking, am I having joy now? Is this joy? Am I having joy now? If I keep judging the joy, I end up crucifying the joy, all the joy. It's like joy happens when I stop judging my joy as if joy was a thing that I could somehow possess for myself, my own possession. Upon reflection, I realized that joy happens when I forget myself. And here's the painful reality of life in this world. The longer I live, the more self I tend to have. And the more self I tend to have, the harder it is to lose. And the harder it is to lose, the less I dance, the less I laugh, the less I experience joy. Little little kids don't seem to have a problem experiencing free, spontaneous, outrageous, unrestrained joy. I mean, when my kids were little, they'd all just, they could just stand around the toilet for hours, you know, pulling the, the plunger and laughing at this miracle of how the water would swirl and go down that hole along with their Polly Pockets and uh, uh, Matchbox cars and a whole variety of, of toys, just laughing, giggling, absolute delight. And I used to be like that. But I grew up. I actually worked for a while as a plumber. So I gained the knowledge of good and evil plumbing. And now the toilet no longer fills me with wonder. I like it, don't get me wrong, I I love the toilet, but it's not wonder, it's not wonder. But because a, a child is small, you see, everything else is big and wonderful. G.K. Chesterton wrote, Alice must grow small to enter wonderland. The older we get, the less we tend to experience wonder, so the less we lose ourselves and the less we dance David's dance. We think we understand toilets. 
gravity and hydraulics, and I don't think we actually do, but we tell, we, we tell ourselves that we do. We, we, we understand gravity and water and life and light, love, God. We tell ourselves we understand. Why? Because nobody wants to be a baby. A baby? Babies are vulnerable. Babies are not in control. Babies are affected. They, they not only experience outrageous joy, they experience sorrow at the drop of a hat. So, with our knowledge of good and evil, with our judgments, we protect ourselves from sorrow and from joy and dancing and laughter. Where do you find joy? Where is joy? Psalm 1611, dancing King David wrote this. In your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. So where is joy is the exact same question as where is the Lord? And isn't the Lord like everywhere? In him we live and move and have our being. You know, before God could create everything, out of nothing, he first had to create nothing because he was everything. In other words, he first had to create space and time. So the Big Bang is more like an explosion of nothingness in the somethingness than an explosion of somethingness in the nothingness, which means we perceive everything exactly backwards. And so our world of space must exist in God something like this. And in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. And if God, like scripture says, will fill all things, well then all things will be full of a fullness of of joy. Maybe our world of time exists in eternity something like this. And in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. Joy at the beginning, joy at the end, surrounded by God, surrounded by joy. And maybe I'm created in space and time something like this. A naked, little, vulnerable me, and all around me is the eternal fullness of joy. I am a creation. All because of you I am. I am a creation of God with the capacity for choosing um, what is not the will of God. I, I mean, I'm a creation of the will of God, but I have a capacity for choosing what is not the will of God. I have a capacity for making my own judgments. So the story of every son of Adam, the story of every daughter of Eve is the same. I take the knowledge of good and evil from the tree of law and I begin to make myself in the image of God. With my judgments, I grow one of these. I build a life 
with my judgments, my choices, my will, a self that, that believes all because of me, I am. I seize control, I make myself, uh, the creator of myself. That self that I create is called my flesh, which the Bible refers to as, as my sin, my, my pride. It's built with a lie, and this is the lie. I get what I deserve, I make me. Now, I do reap what I sow, but that's very different than I get what I deserve. What does a farmer, he sows seed, a seed is a miracle, but my flesh believes I get what I deserve, I make me. Where's joy? Well, it's, it's all around me. The real me, the naked little creation of God that is me, it's all around me. So why don't I experience joy? I don't experience joy because I'm trapped in a prison of me. A prison of flesh, uh, built with a lie, a prison of self, a prison of sin, a prison of pride, a prison of trust in my own judgment, which hides me necessarily from God's judgment. God's judgment is love. And God is love. And in his presence is fullness of joy. Well, anyway, I just hope that you see we've come to believe a lie. We believe that joy is this very fragile and rare commodity that has to be diligently pursued, carefully kept uh, as our most treasured possession. But you see, joy is like the default mode of the universe, the default mode of reality. Joy is everywhere, unbreakable and eternal. Joy is the presence of God, and he is not your possession. Not your private possession. You cannot earn him. He's everywhere and free. Well, you see, each of us then is like a baby trapped in a dark little bubble of flesh, believing that it gets what it deserves, floating in a sea of ecstatic, wild, eternal joy, the very presence of God, and each of us is terrified. Each of us is terrified that someone might come along and burst our bubble. But beyond the bubble, is infinite, unrestrained, absolute, free, eternal joy. G.K. Chesterton wrote this. So we sit, perhaps, in a starry chamber of silence, while the laughter of the heavens is too loud for us to hear. Joy, which was the small publicity of the pagan, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. So do you get what he's saying? He's saying the, the world tells us that joy is this extremely rare commodity. So you need to pursue it, capture it, guard it with, with your flesh, you know, with your works, with your retirement accounts and your insurance policies. You need to guard it with your life. What does Jesus say? No, actually, you need to lose your life in order to find it. You can't capture, comprehend, contain joy. My God, it's the presence of God. You must surrender to joy. So, so what is it? Where is it? How do we experience it? Well, let's take a look at why David is dancing. This is the part we always seem to forget. Second Samuel 6, David remembers the lost ark. 
Last week, we learned all about the ark. So if you weren't here last week, you gotta go watch the, the sermon online, okay, and just trust the things that I'm about to say. But uh, we learned all about the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant is the presence of God. And the presence of God is the fullness of joy. It's the presence of God, glory of God, power of God, judgment of God. It was a box of wood containing the law, covered with mercy, which is life. It was tree, eights, wood, tree, containing the knowledge of good and evil, and tree that was covered in life. The blood is life. It was guarded by cherubim and a sword held by a high priest, and it was a throne, and check this out, the throne is a judgment seat, and the judgment seat is called the mercy seat. It was like the Garden of Eden, and like the cross on which Jesus was sacrificed, and like the throne on which stands the slaughtered lamb, before whom every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them worships. Revelation chapter five, the ark was the mercy of God covering the law of God. It was the judgment which stands between us and eternity. Second Samuel six, verse one, the beginning of this story, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up uh, from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim, the Lord of hosts. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. Literally, the face of Yahweh, or the hot nostrils of Yahweh, burned against Uzzah. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God, and David was angry. David got ticked. David grew hot, literally, because the Lord had burst forth, breached upon Uzzah, breached upon it. Perhaps... David thought, you know, this isn't fair, God. He put out his hand to catch the ark. Uzzah doesn't deserve to die. You know, maybe no one deserves anything. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, remember? No one deserves anything except nothing, which, which is death. Here's a thought. Do you think you deserve joy? You ever started to experience joy and then stop going, ah, I, I don't deserve that. Maybe Uzzah thought, Uzzah, or maybe, maybe David thought, Uzzah didn't, didn't deserve that. And maybe David thought, I would have done that, Lord, the very same thing. I would have done that to protect the ark. Doesn't, go, doesn't God know that Uzzah is trying to save the ark? Doesn't he know that Uzzah is trying to save the presence of the Lord? Doesn't he know that Uzzah is trying to save Joy? God, Uzzah's trying to help you out. What's wrong with that? David was angry. 
because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. Perez Uzzah means Uzzah's breach. A breach is like a break or a gap. So the uh, boundary between time, eternity, fallen creation, and God was breached, and the face of God, the glory of God, the presence of God, the consuming fire that is God breached upon Uzzah. Consumed him. Verse nine. David was afraid. Afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Listen closely. Before David danced in his underwear, before he experienced free, spontaneous, outrageous, uncontrolled joy, he wrestled with this question. How can the ark of the covenant come to me? So David was not willing to take the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obededim, the Gittite. And the Ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obededim, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obededim and all his household. Obededim has something like 62 sons and grandchildren, blessing. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obededim and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obededim to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal, fattened, uh, an ox and a fattened animal, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. And all of that has got to make you go, hmm. Why did Uzzah die? And David dance. I mean, Uzzah seems responsible. And David seems irresponsible. Like Michal, Uzzah is respectable. David is, quote, shameless. In his own words, contemptible and abased. You know, perhaps Uzzah did violate some ritual Levitical law, but only on impulse. And only for the sake of saving the ark. David violated the moral law. You know his story, the Ten Commandments, the law that was in the ark. I mean, we're talking murder, adultery, covetousness, lying. I mean, David is like a list of all these horrific sins. Uzzah dies, and David is called the man after God's own heart. Uzzah died. But now, to, to be fair, we, we really don't know how that felt for Uzzah. Some argue that he'll be tortured forever in hell without mercy, without mercy. That's a really strange idea when it's the mercy seat that killed him. Mercy destroyed him. Can mercy recreate him? God will breathe on the valley of dry bones and the whole house of Israel will rise and enter the land according to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37, 11 through 14. Read it. I mean, Uzzah's part of the house of Israel. It's the Bible. Deal with it. Well, no matter what, I'm sure that this was terrifying for Uzzah. But there are different forms of terror. 
Remember last week when we watched Raiders of the Lost Ark and, and the Nazi touches the ark and, and he screams, it's beautiful! And then he is devoured in consuming fire. God is consuming fire, says scripture. God is love. Love is fire. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, those who do not obey the good news of our Lord Jesus will suffer the punishment of Ionios, eternal destruction from, the Greek is from, or that comes from the presence of the Lord. The glory of Jesus, eternal fire will destroy them. All it takes is for Jesus to manifest. Fire. Remember when Jesus appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road? Remember what happened? Jesus burned him. He blinded him. He destroyed him. Paul even wrote it. He said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. No longer I, no longer my flesh, no longer my religious accomplishments, no longer my pride, no longer my ego, no longer my self-righteousness, no longer my judgments, no longer that self that I thought I deserved. I had a Damascus Road experience. And, and I've told you about it several, several times. It was the day I told God that I was no longer gonna do the ministry. I was leaving the ministry because he didn't talk to me and he didn't love me. It was also the day that he told me I had gone into the ministry because I hated his church, his bride. At the end of that day, that day, that judgment day in Canada, God literally pinned me to the floor. Long story, but I really thought my arms were gonna snap right here. I had always prayed, God, if I'm out of your will, just break my arms, just break my arms, and they were breaking. They felt like they were gonna break. And it felt like there was a million volts of electricity just coursing through my body, this power, just unbelievable power, and God pulled back the veil, made a breach. He tore the curtain. Eternity invaded time, and I saw that he loved me everywhere, every when, every how, because that is who he is, not because I deserved it. And I remember thinking this, if he turns it up, that love meter or whatever that thing is, if he turns it up just one more notch, I'll die, I'll die, but I will die in Absolute ecstasy, total joy. Now, I don't know if that's what Uzzah experienced. If he surrendered to God's judgment, I think maybe he did. But if he resisted God's judgment, oh, if he resisted God's judgment, it must have just been absolute terror. You see, if you believe that you are the product of your own judgments, if you believe that you have created yourself with your good judgments according to your knowledge of good and evil, that is if you try to justify yourself according to the law, nothing could ever be as terrifying as the manifestation of Jesus the Christ. It was the judgment of God, the word of God, the revelation of grace.
the judgment of God will burst your bubble. The judgment of God consumes your judgment like fire consumes chaff and stubble. So if you think that you are your judgments, if you think that you are that chaff and stubble, the judgment of God will be absolute terror to you. But if you think that you are the handiwork of God, created by grace through faith, and that faith, not of yourself, so you can't boast. If you think that you are the handiwork of God, the creation of grace, imprisoned in a body of flesh, then then the judgment of God is not terror to you. What is it? Liberation. Freedom. Absolute joy. As you dance unhindered before the loving face of your Father, our Lord God, your Abba. Well, anyway, Uzzah died. But maybe David died too. Other than, I better save that ark, we really don't know what Uzzah was thinking. However, we do know what David was thinking. We actually know what he was singing. Or at least we know what he was dancing to. It's recorded in 1 Chronicles. We don't have time to read all of it now, but we can at least read how it ends. As King David is stripped of all his dignity, David uh, dances like a little child before the face of God and glory of God enthroned upon the ark. And this is the word, this is the song to which he dances. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 31, this is what they're singing. This is what the choir is singing. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the fields exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy. Joy before the Lord. Why? Because he comes to judge the earth. He comes to judge the earth. He comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he's good, for the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. It's the most repeated phrase in all of scripture. His steadfast love endures forever. What does that mean? It means that when Uzzah died, when David danced, when Michal didn't uh, bear fruit, God's love never stopped. His steadfast love endures forever. He, He never stopped loving them. David dances as the ark enters Jerusalem as the choir sings, rejoice, sing for joy before the Lord. Why? For he comes to judge the earth. He comes to judge, give thanks. He's good for his steadfast love endures forever. I think the greatest lie of the prince of darkness perpetrated against the church of Jesus Christ in the modern age or for the last thousand years and upon our culture is that the judgment of God is the opposite of the love of God. When in reality, the judgment of God is the revelation of God, who is love. Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. Jesus Christ and him crucified for the sins of the world is the judgment of God. The mercy of God covering The law of God is the judgment of God. Judgment of God is undeserved, unmerited love. What is unmerited love? We call it 
grace. Grace. Which means all your good works, all your efforts to earn his love by justifying yourself according to law in the power of the flesh are faithlessness. They're not okay. That's faithlessness in who he is. It's lies and abominations that will be destroyed by truth and light and love. And check this out. If you don't love that, if you don't love that judgment, you'll hide. You will hide. You'll hide in outer darkness. You'll hide from eternity in the depths of space and time. You'll hide in lies subject to the father of lies. You'll hide in darkness under the dominion of the prince of darkness. You'll hide in death. Where? In the depths of the earth. You'll hide from life, light, and truth. You'll hide from Jesus. The judgment and glory and presence and power of God. You'll become a ghost. Even now it happens. It's starting to happen even now. It happens when you dress yourself in fig leaves and king's robes, degrees and awards and accomplishments and flesh happens when you despise David's dance like Michal, religious, self-righteous, and barren of life. But if instead of hating God's judgment, you surrender to God's judgment, well, what do you surrender to? Love. And now make no mistake. Make no mistake. Um, Selfish judgments will be destroyed. Your selfish judgments will be destroyed by, by God's judgments. In other words, you will be saved from your sin. In other words, you will be stripped of your pride. And then, start to dance like a child. The rhythm of love before the face of the Father who delights absolutely in you. Made in the image of God, a man, a woman, after God's own heart. Jesus said, you must become like a child to enter the kingdom. See, it's the judgment of God that burns away your pride, sets you free to dance. You know why those babies experienced such free, radical, unrestrained joy? Well, I think it's because they were staring into the face of their father, who delighted in them. And they did not yet know good and evil. They had not yet begun to judge themselves, create themselves. They were not yet self-conscious. They couldn't earn their father's love. They could only receive their father's love, and that was their father's delight. <laughs> you know, when my children were little, they were just, I mean, talk about delight. Every day when I would come home, I remember I'd take my key and I'd begin to put it in the lock of the door. The moment that key hit that lock, it was like somebody would be waiting, they'd hear me from inside and I'd hear this, daddy's home! I'd open the door and they'd all come running in and they'd jump on me, run around me and then they'd break out into this daddy's home, daddy's home, daddy, this dance. I called it the daddy's home dance and they'd just go around me going, daddy's home, daddy's home and I didn't care if they did the can-can or the cha-cha, if they had a mosh pit. I mean, all I cared about was was that they were dancing to the rhythm of my love, my delight. You know our entire life is to be a dance like that? 
called worship bears fruit. Joy is fruit. Talk about that more next week, I think. But when my children danced, you see, it was free. Spontaneous. It was, it was joy. No one told them they had to do it. It wasn't a law that I had established. When they come up, you will dance, that they were trying to fulfill, you know. And with it, they weren't trying to achieve something else. In other words, they were not being religious. Unless those four babies get older, this is what will happen. They'll begin to judge each other. And they'll begin to judge themselves. And then they'll become self-conscious. And then they will stop laughing. As my kids went off to school and began to be judged and to judge, they stopped dancing. Or if they danced, they did it as a, as a performance uh, in order to gain my approval, not because of my love, not because of my love, but in order to gain my love, they became religious. And, and you see, I think we all become religious in this world. We all try to gain God's approval. We try to construct ourselves with our judgments and our good deeds, but even that is according to his plan. Why? Because he has destined us to see his mercy. He shows us his mercy at the cross. And when we see his mercy, we start to dance. Like little children. But even better than little children. Because you see, we don't simply go back to the garden to dance beneath the two trees. We go forward to the new Jerusalem to dance beneath the cross. For we have the knowledge of good and evil covered with mercy, which is life. We know the good and delight in the good, for God is good. He is mercy. The cross, you see, is the judgment of God, the revelation of mercy. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil transformed into the tree of life. It's the law of God. Covered with the mercy of God. And the very place we took his life, he gave his life. And that's mercy. That's our God. Jesus Christ and him crucified for the sins of the world is the ark of the eternal covenant of grace. The presence of God, power of God, and judgment of God. So what have we learned? Uzzah asserted himself. Tried to save the ark and died. David abased himself, was saved by the ark, and danced. Uzzah tried to control the ark. He judged the ark and died. David was controlled by the ark. He was judged by the ark, and, and he danced. Uzzah is the religious impulse. So let me ask you this question. Are you Uzzah? You think God needs your help? You know, kind of like he, he really can't save the world without you. Which means he really can't save you without you.
which means that what you really believe is that you are like the Savior of the Savior. Is that why you dance? Kind of scared about that? Dance to assure your salvation, to control your salvation. You know, I think, I think if you really analyze it, that that's why the Pharisees crucified Jesus. They were controlling the ark. And that's not faith. That's works. That's not life. That's death. Maybe Uzzah needed to die. Maybe David needed to see Uzzah die. Because David needed to die to himself in order to dance. Maybe you need to die to a lie. That you must deserve God's presence. That you must deserve joy, which is grace. <laughs> no one deserves grace, or it's not grace. You're not getting it. Uzzah is the religious impulse. David is the life of faith in grace. The, the, the man who surrenders his sin and dances in the light, who, who sees the glory of God shining in the face of Christ. That's where you see the face of the Father, who delights himself in the gracious judgment of God, who knows that God loves him freely, unconditionally, and absolutely, because that is who he is. So where do you find joy? Check this out. David found it in the judgment of God. The Ark of the Covenant. And Barry asked me, Peter, where, where do you find joy? Barry, you maybe remember this. I kind of stumbled through the answer. I mean, I, I really struggled with it. And I think I said something like this, but I kind of cleaned it up for you, okay? Because this is what I think, this whole sermon is what I think I was trying to, to say this. I think joy is like everywhere. Just as God is everywhere. The problem is me. When I lose me, I, I hear the music. I begin to dance. I experience joy. When I was younger, I could lose me in, in a ski jump or a great song by Leonard Skinner or even the flush of a, of a toilet but now there seems to be more of me to lose, to, to lose, to, to forget, to, more of me to lose. And, and I need something bigger in which to get lost. So I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I find joy in preaching the, the gospel. And that's weird because preaching seriously is like the most painful thing that I do. I mean, I usually feel like I'm just dying and I offer and have encountered just this painful, horrid rejection and yet preaching the gospel, you see, I preach God's judgment of grace and preaching it, I am forced to see it and seeing it, I die and then I live. Sometimes. Last year at a time, when I was really struggling, God gave a word to my wife for me. It ended, it ended like this. I'll just read you the last line. The Lord said, yes, you will get tired. 
and be tempted to sleep. But in the end, your only rest is in me. Abba. That means daddy. I've been thinking about that for a year now. You see, it's true. My heart only rests in his gaze. So, so where do I find joy? Where does joy find me? Well, it's in the very last place that Satan wants you to look. The very last place Satan wants me to look. The very last place the children of Adam would think to look. I find joy in the judgment of God. But in the words of David, listen to this, let the earth rejoice, let Peter Hyatt rejoice. The trees of the forest sing for joy. They sing for joy before the Lord. Why? Because he comes to judge the earth. He comes to judge Peter for his steadfast love endures forever. So on that night that he was betrayed, He took the bread and he broke it saying, look, this is my body torn. This is my body given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the blood of the covenant, the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. Of me, And so do you see what he's saying? Every week, sanctuary, every week, my people, every week, church, come to church and look. Behold my judgment. This is my judgment. You cannot make me love you any more than this. You cannot make me love you any less than you did this. Why? Why? Because it's done. It's finished. My word has gone out and will not return. This is my judgment. You are worth. He's talking to you, so I want you to hear your name, okay? Listen, this is his judgment. You are worth my body torn on this tree. You are worth my blood which flows like a river from my throne. That is my judgment. It cannot be changed. It is eternal. It's the fire that will consume you in love. I love you. His judgment. So I think he's saying this. Come to my table and receive my judgment. Eat my judgment. Digest my judgment. judgment. And, and maybe sometimes it'll even make you feel, you know, kind of like you just, you just want to dance. I like it when you dance. So in Jesus' name, come to the table, receive the judgment of Yahweh. Believe. Worship. So, Lord God, we worship you for who you are. 
And you are love, and your love is free. You are grace poured out upon this broken creation, and in your presence is fullness of joy. (laughs) So you are a good daddy, aren't you? Amen. So you see, I think a lot of ways of saying this, but I really think the reason we're on this messed up, screwed up planet is to learn to find joy in the judgment of our Father. And, and you know, joy is a, does feel pretty elusive in this world, but this is the amazing thing. I, I think heaven is joy in the judgment of our Father because heaven is a place where everyone loves the judgment of the Father. And so every judgment comes in harmony with his judgment like a great dance and everyone dances to the same tune which is the tune of love, which is the tune of grace. And so one, no one there wants to sin. I mean, sin is like picking up gravel and rubbing it in your eye. Uh, nobody wants that because they know that joy is in the judgment of the Lord. And so you see, once you learn to find joy in the judgment of God, begin to find it everywhere. For God is everywhere. And heaven is a place where we see that and everyone dances. So, in Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen. Hey there. I hope the message that you just heard or viewed helped you to believe a little more that God is better than you thought, the love of Jesus is deeper than you know, and the Spirit is everywhere working the wonders of mercy. If that's so, I'd love it if you would consider two things. Number one, ask yourself if there's someone that you know that might benefit from this message and then uh, forward this link onto them. There are several ways that you can do that by visiting our website at thesanctuarydowntown.org. Secondly, I'd love it if you'd uh, take just a moment and uh, ask the Lord if He'd like you to contribute to this endeavor financially. We really can't do this except for the fact that God inspires people like you um, to give. And uh, you can do that by uh, going to the website and clicking on uh, the donate button or uh, by simply mailing a check to the Sanctuary downtown at uh, 2215 West 30th Avenue, Denver, Colorado, 802 one one. Uh, thanks for being a part of what we're doing and God bless you.